This is Undisciplined. I'm Matthew LaPlante. I recently retook up the game of golf, and I'm not going to be the first or the last person to observe that this sport, it's basically just a long walk with a whole lot of swearing. But it is a long walk, and I assumed that I was getting some sort of health benefit from that. But how much benefit? If exercise is an investment in better health and a longer life, how much am I putting into my account with each round that I play? And if longevity is part of my goal, would my time be better invested in something else, something like running or basketball or swimming? There's obviously a lot of reasons to engage in exercise and sports, a lot more than just the notion that these activities are going to help us live longer. But is anybody keeping score? Well, Connor Sheehan is. He's joining us on the line today from Tempe, Arizona, where he's a researcher in the School of Social and Family Dynamics, an affiliate of the Global Sports Institute at Arizona State University. He first joined us about a year and a half ago to talk about the health disparities stemming from sleep, and now he's out with his latest study, which examines whether 15 different kinds of exercise have unique benefits when it comes to longevity. Hey, Connor, welcome back to the program. Hey, Matthew, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Over the years, you've studied health and disability in U.S. military veterans. You've looked at the impact of parental health on children in Mexico, the interrelationship of poverty and obesity. You've looked at social disparities related to the amount and quality of sleep people get. And now you've got this new work on what types of exercise confer the greatest benefit when it comes to longevity. And, you know, Connor, like a lot of researchers, they find one thing, one very specific thing. Your research portfolio is like really fascinatingly diversified. And I'm wondering, where does that come from? Well, first off, I think it drives my mentors crazy that I do so. But I really think that I'm interested in social factors that influence health broadly speaking. And, you know, we know that exercise and sports have this physiological benefit for humans, but to me, they also have this pretty substantial sociological benefits for our health and well-being. They provide other things we need to live other than just like benefiting our hearts and our lungs. So they give us social contact, they give us social structure, they provide us meaning for our lives. And then they also give us goals. And, you know, all these things are sociological and also we need them to live. You know, there's no end to the number of questions we could ask with like unlimited time and resources. So how do you decide like, okay, you know what, the next thing I'm going to do, I'm going to look at sports and longevity. Yeah. Well, I've always been a sports junkie, a fitness junkie. And once I found that kind of the survey that I use most frequently for my research kind of by chance asked people back in 1998 what sports they participated, I realized that I could kind of track and see how long they lived. So I could see which sports certain people who live longer were doing. And then I could <laughs> like selfishly try to emulate their activity profiles. Before we get into the answers, I'm just kind of wondering, do you think like, okay, if, if I figure out 
the exercises to do? If I figure out the sports to play, I can get a little bit more health and longevity. Like, has, has that factored into the way that you've viewed the findings of this study? I started out really curious, but just to see what kind of played out. But yeah, of course, it was a little in my self-interest to see. I'm getting older. I'm in my mid-30s. I'm you know, kind of seeing my body slow down. So I wanted to see what exercises the people who are living the longest were doing to kind of stem that aging in my own fitness. So... What exercises are included here? There's 15 different ones. I guess we don't have to like name them all, but let's talk about the diversity of exercises that were asked about in this survey. Yeah, so this was asked back in 1998. So the kind of exercises that people did back then might be a little different from what they do now. But so they there's had... no CrossFit. <laughs> no CrossFit, yeah, that's right. No yoga, which is kind of interesting. Um, but they have... Like the big ones, like walking, running, aerobics, stretching, weightlifting, stair climbing, baseball, football, basketball, golf, swimming, tennis. Okay, so which of these exercises do you already do? Did did you like which ones did you write? You're like, oh yeah, I do that one. Well, I really loved to play basketball, but as I said, I'm getting older and I kind of messed up my knee, so I've kind of put that on hold. But I liked it do weightlifting. I love to do yoga, which I guess would fit in stretching. And then I do running occasionally, but it's harder (laughs) as I get older. There's a challenge in this. And the challenge is that it turns out that the way we exercise and the exercises that we choose to do is impacted a lot by our culture and our geography and, and a lot of demographic factors. Cycling and golf, for instance, you and your collaborator, Long Feng Li, mentioned in the study, these look like they might have an impact on mortality at first, but the folks who engage in those activities, they tend to be a little bit more privileged in many aspects of life. And once you control for those sorts of socioeconomic factors, you didn't find any real impact. I imagine that controlling for all of these sorts of factors is a big challenge. That's right. And we were really careful in how we did this because, like you said, the kinds of sports that people engage in is cultural. It's based on where you lived. It's based on your gender, you know, baseball versus softball, for example. It's based on, you know, your socioeconomic status. So we wanted to try to control for that. And like you said, yeah, we found that people who played golf, they lived longer, but when we kind of statistically accounted for them being more privileged, them having more income, presumably them having better healthcare access, the benefits of golf were explained. So golf was no longer statistically significant. And that's because we think these people are more advantaged. You know, I feel like golf is actually taking some years (laughs) off of my life. And there were sports that you found, like before we go into what worked, there were some activities that you found that actually seemed to be associated with shorter lifespans. That's right. So baseball was associated with higher odds of mortality. And what we think is going on here is that baseball has this kind of culture of chewing tobacco, where people who play baseball, whether it be from high school all the way up to professional athletes, they're more likely to chew tobacco. So 
we think that that culture of this behavior that's not great for your health and longevity is why people who play baseball have higher odds of mortality or they live shorter lives than those who don't. Can you control for that factor for baseball? Yes. So we controlled for smoking, but the survey that we used did not, or I don't think it had questions about chewing tobacco. Oh, all right. So, I mean, is is there any way to know, like, we suspect that tobacco is a factor. We know generally how long tobacco use pulls years off of people's lives. So is it even out or I only say this as somebody who likes to go out and have a catch. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing that, I'm sure that that's a great <laughs> question. We don't have these measures of chewing tobacco. So we're really forced to speculate, but there is a lot of other research that's focused on high schoolers all the way to professional athletes or professional baseball players that shows that they have higher likelihood of chewing tobacco and ultimately they live shorter lives because of this. So like our research doesn't show that it is chewing tobacco, but we're pretty sure that that's what's going on. Before we get to the ones that work, is there another one that either doesn't work or just sort of like doesn't seem to really matter? You mentioned golf after we adjust for socioeconomic factors doesn't seem to have a huge impact. Anything else? Well, I think it's important that I'm clear that we looked at like any exercise. And when we looked at if people engage in any exercise or not, if you engaged in any of these activities, you had a longer life than if you didn't. And so if you are doing an exercise, you probably shouldn't switch it based on this study, you should do what you enjoy doing because if you enjoy doing it, you're more likely to keep doing it and that is going to help your longevity. We were curious if some exercise types made more of a difference than others. Yeah, and and naturally, I mean, like we all want to know what we can do, right? Like you said, like you're getting a little older, you want to know what you can do. So, so we've been coy long enough here. Let's get to the stuff that seems to work. If, if I want to live a little longer, what does the data suggest that I should do exercise and sports wise? Well, first off, if you're doing any exercise and it's something that you are consistently doing and it's something that you enjoy doing, and as long as you're not you know, chewing tobacco while you're doing it, keep doing that exercise because you will get a health benefit from it. But saying that, we found that exercises like walking, running, aerobics, weightlifting, stair climbing, these all were associated with longer lives. And really importantly was stretching. We found that the people who stretched had much lower odds of dying than those who didn't. So stretching is one way that can increase your longevity based on our study. So like you said earlier, this is a study that was done in 1998 and yoga obviously was a thing in 1998, but it wasn't like all the rage, like it wasn't a yoga studio on every block in every city in America. But do we know how the survey takers defined stretching like at the time? Because it just seems like it was such a weird thing like stretching like I, I don't know anybody who just stretches but i know a lot of people do yoga so we figured there's some confluence there yeah yeah i think so and, you know this is in 1998 i don't remember what people considered 
these activities. But I also think it's important to acknowledge that people who just think they are stretching live longer. People who set time aside in their day to, you know, stretch out their hamstrings or whatever, whether it be, you know, they're planning in that regard, so they're planning in other regards, or if stretching provides, you know, mental clarity or if stretching lets you do other exercises for longer, for whatever reason, stretching was really good. And I would love to know if yoga gives these benefits because yoga is very focused on, you know, mental clarity, mental health, along with physical strengthening and flexibility. So it kind of seems like yoga would be the perfect confluence of all of these. And yet it was collected in 1998. So we don't have yoga. What is your sense? Now we should say you're, you're a demographic sociologist. You're not a medical doctor, but with that as the caveat, what, what is your sense about what is happening in the human body when we're stretching or when we are the kind of people who are likely to tell a survey taker that we are stretchers? Yeah, again, I think it could be this kind of focus on self-care that might also show up in other activities like our planning and what we're eating, how we're eating, our planning in like health behaviors, just kind of taking the time to focus on your body, taking care of it in terms of stretching might also show up in other activities that promote longevity of course there could also be some direct benefits like if you're more flexible you could be less likely to become disabled in the future and that is one very strong predictor of mortality there's there's intentionality in this right like when people say that they take time out of their day to stretch like you said like immediately you know these are people who are thoughtful or you could assume i suppose you that these are people who are thoughtful about doing things that help them manage the one body that they've been given to live in during this life yeah exactly and presumably that shows up not just in stretching but in other traits or characteristics or behaviors that might benefit longevity but stretching of course could also have its own unique like physiological impact that this study is not equipped to really speak to. Not surprisingly, you mentioned just a few moments ago, cardiovascular exercises appear to be quite connected to longer life. And there's some really good news there. If you're a person who cares about equity, and I know from our past conversations, Connor, that you are that sort of person. And the reason for this is these sorts of activities They require minimal facilities. They can be performed individually. And so people from diverse backgrounds and socioeconomic levels, they can all really easily engage in these sorts of exercises. Yeah, that's right. We looked at every single exercise and if the benefit or the detriment varied by education level, by gender, by race, ethnicity, and we didn't find many systematic patterns at all. Now saying that, you know, not everyone can go out and even walk because their neighborhoods might be less safe or the sidewalks might be run down or, you know, they might live on a really busy street. So even though some activities require very minimal resources, as you said, it's tough to say that everyone can do them. I'm not sure if that is the case. But they are more, I mean, like not everybody can go out and golf. 
Right. Clearly, there's definitely a financial and economic barrier there, and cycling is the same way, and um, and swimming, of, and we, swimming, right, right, yeah, but or you, tennis you, you, too, yeah, definitely, definitely, that's fair. Um, but I think it's tougher than we might think. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think it's important to note that, right? Like the, even at the very most, maybe a level that we would consider like the most accessible level in the world, things that a lot of people in privileged situations would consider to be very easy to do are not always very easy for people to do. Exactly. People who live in neighborhoods that have seen disinvestment for centuries, there might be more fear to go out and exercise outside or the physical landscape might inhibit such exercise. You're really attuned to these sorts of obstacles you seem to find them in all of the various aspects of the research that you do it must feel to some level a little bit discouraging to again and again no matter what you choose to research recognize that privilege begets privilege and disadvantage often begets disadvantage yeah it really is no matter what health outcome I look at, no matter what group I look at, we see, or I see, there is social stratification where, like you said, the rich are getting richer in their health. And over time, at least, for example, by level of educational attainment in the past few decades, we've actually seen healthy inequality widen. And I have some research that has shown that. And then I also have research in sleep that has shown that racial and ethnic inequality of sleep is widening recently. So it seems like things aren't getting better at least. And so, yeah, that's discouraging for sure. When you are a researcher who looks at these sorts of things and often is confronted with those sorts of things, how do you stay motivated? I mean, I, I feel like I, I need some positives in my life to keep moving. What are yours, particularly in regards to your research? I'm sure there's lots and lots of positives in your life, but in regards to your research, what, what are the things that keep you motivated and interested? I think I am curious. Like I was really excited to run these models and see kind of which exercises were better than others. I was just excited to see how it turns out like sometimes the results are incredibly depressing and i kind of need to step away and take you know a week or a month off from that work but i also think it's really important to kind of draw attention to how social factors can lead to inequality in health yeah i was talking to some climatologists the other day and i think they have a very similar experience where it's like you know they do the research and you know everything that they do confirms <laughs> that you know climate change is real and also it's pretty much worse than we thought <laughs> it's um i feel like researchers need an extra helping of mental health support often yeah and i try to get that through exercise and one thing that's kind of kept me sane is the kind of fitness goals that i have and as i get older i mean my goal is just to kind of stay and feel like i did when i was 25 but it's getting how, it's getting, how are you doing with that <laughs> it's getting harder and harder you know i can't 
overcome a poor night's sleep or, you know, a workout that I could almost would be a warm up for me at 25 wears me out for days. So it, it's harder. But bringing it back to the research, I have definitely made more time to stretch after I finish workouts. And, you know, it could be placebo, but I, I do feel like I, I feel a little bit better than when I was stretching less. Well, it doesn't really matter if it's a placebo, though, right? I mean, like, really, like, when it comes down to it, if you feel better, you feel better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I will I will take placebo. <laughs> if it works, <laughs> I will take it always. The study came out of a national survey. Uh, the, the data that comes from surveys like this can tell us a lot about people in the United States. I, I wonder if you think the findings would be different in meaningful ways if we were to look at a broader group of people. Do you mean like in different countries? Right, yeah. Yeah, so people have looked at this in the Netherlands and England. You know, th those countries have unique sports climates. Like, for example, soccer is much more popular. But we were largely able to replicate their findings within the U.S. That is the, the facts of like cardiovascular exercise, like walking, running, aerobics were good here and they were good there but the soccer findings obviously varied because it was 1998 and i'm not sure how popular soccer was probably less so than now but tell me about what you would have liked to have seen you know the survey was done in 1998 you know 20 some odd years later what would you be really interested in looking at in terms of what confers health benefits? You mentioned yoga earlier. Are there other things that you'd be curious to know? Yeah, yoga. And then I'm really interested going forward in football. There's been a lot of focus on CTE and football. And I would love to kind of compare those who play football to those who don't play football and to kind of see how they're health changes throughout the life course to really dig into if football is as bad as we think for health and, and longevity, frankly. And I, I'm not sure what other sports have really changed. I mean, it seems like yoga is bigger now. I, I'm not sure what else is. We were missing some sports like ice hockey or like lacrosse, but I don't know. I feel like there's been a real push toward endurance sports, you know, like marathoning and, you know, ultra marathoning and triathlons and, and then also this sort of like extreme fitness folks where, you know, like CrossFit looks impressive. Don't get me wrong, but I, I feel like that would take years off of my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I, I saw research recently out of Japan that showed that, kind of the most intense athletes might be living shorter. But yeah, it would be great to get more nuanced measures because we can't really tell like who are the people who just run around the block and say they're runners versus who are the ultra marathoners. We don't have that information from the data set. I wanted to turn back to the subject we began this conversation with about how your research agenda is so diversified. And I suppose this might be a little nebulous and maybe a little philosophical, but when you bounce around as you tend to do from one 
area of demographic sociology to the next. And you do, as you say, you acknowledge that you let your research impact sort of the way you think about your life and the activities that you do. I wonder how this changes who you are or changes the way you think about who you are and the choices that you make. Do you find that your research impacts your understanding of who you are as a person? I think, yes, I could do a lot better at this, but I am aware of my privilege of being a college-educated academic who has time every day to exercise, who has the time to cook healthy meals, who has the money to spend on healthy food. I have health insurance, so I have all these advantages. And, you know, there's probably many that I'm not aware of, but I try to be aware of all the ways through which social structure benefits my well-being personally. And again, I have a lot more work to be done in that regard, but that would be how I say my research has kind of shaped me is just through increasing my awareness of my privilege. That's Connor Sheehan. His latest study in the journal Medicine and Science in Sports and Exercise examines the ways in which different types of exercise impact longevity. Connor, I'm glad we got a chance to uh, chat again today. Yes, thank you for having me, Matthew. Undisciplined is a production of Utah Public Radio, and if you happen to live in Utah, you can listen to us every Friday at 2 p.m. on UPR. If you miss us then, you can listen to every episode of Undisciplined wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer is Naomi Ward. Our associate producer is Mia Dora. Our theme music is Little Idea by Benjamin Tissot, and I'm Matthew LaPlante. Thanks for listening, and go have big ideas.